everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. So the drama that I'm going to be talking about today is Crash Landing on You, which apparently is also known as Love's Emergency Landing, uh, which is the literal translated title. So Crash Landing on You is obviously, I'm pretty sure like (laughs) I'd be really surprised if there's many listeners who haven't watched it. I feel like I'm super late to this one. Um, So this is a 2019 drama uh, which ended in in 2020, in early 2020, and it was just a mega hit. It's huge. So 16 episodes. Um, I guess I'd describe it. There's, I mean, it's kind of like a rom-com, but there's probably elements of more serious drama to it as well, obviously, <laughs> particularly towards the end. And, you know, it's, it's about North Korea. <laughs> so there's serious stuff in there, but there's still a real lightness to it as well. There's, there's a feel of that fluffy rom-com kind of thing. Um, even though, you know, the stakes are pretty bloody high. Um, so the reason I watched this show, um, that I ended up watching it was because everyone fucking told me I had to. (laughs) Seriously, um, you know, since starting this podcast, I now have a bit of a K-drama community and I have K-drama friends and people who message me and stuff. And I'm pretty sure like practically everyone that I chat to about K-dramas now was like, have you watched this show? You need to go watch this show. And there is a point where I feel like having that many people very specifically telling you that it's good, um, it wears you down. Um, not in a bad way. I meant like in a good way. Um, it made me start thinking, okay, sounds like that's worth my time. I've mentioned on the show in in the past that I have a weird thing that sometimes if a show is super mega popular and it's not something that I'm specifically like already drawn to, um, I end up avoiding it. Like if I don't really know or really love any of the actors and actresses in it, I might end up avoiding it, particularly if there's a lot of hype. And I think that kind of happened with this show. I don't know why. It's one of those things where I'm like, I don't know why I avoided it. Um, but I did, um, until, you know, I just heard it too many times that I should go watch it. Oh, so that was a lie. I do know why I avoided it. Right. So (laughs) here's the story. Um, the two lead actors in this drama are not favorites of mine. Um, and you know, as I've said before, everyone has different taste. I hope no one is like offended that they're just not really for me. Um, as it turns out, 
Um, so this is Hyun Ben and Sonia Jin. So Hyun Ben is the male lead and the actress Sonia Jin uh, plays the female lead. Um, they're both amazing in this. Like they're so good. I do feel like watching this drama really wiped away some of the bad, weird feelings I had about those two. And, and when I kind of investigate, like thinking about it now, why did I have all these negative feelings around them? Why did I avoid this drama? Cause they were in it. Um, and of course, you know, it, I've been watching dramas for a really, really long time. Um, literally like 10 years this year. Um, so, <laughs> so one of the very early dramas that I watched was a drama called My Name is Kim Sam Soon. Um, this was, so when I first started watching dramas, my household was a little bit behind the times 10 years ago. It's really hard to even imagine this now, but we did not have the internet in our house. So I could only watch TV. I couldn't watch cool things on the internet. I also didn't have a smartphone. <laughs> I'm, this is really weird. I don't know um, why we were living that way. I guess we were just really poor and, and young and, um, you know, just surviving. <laughs> so we didn't have anything cool in the house. Um, and when I first got into K-dramas, I had to watch them like I was watching them on YouTube at work in my lunch break. That's, that's how I was obsessing over them. And I, I didn't have access to them at home. And that was killing me not having access. I was so obsessed that, um, and I've mentioned this on the show before this whole story, you know, I, I started going to, um, the kind of, uh, you know, Chinatown area in my city. And, you know, I'd go into the different Asian shops that might have Asian dramas for sale. And I'd start buying like these DVDs and a lot of them would be very expensive, but like be, you know, ripped copies off the net. So they'd be like really bad quality. The subs were mental. Um, I just didn't have access. And I was going through all the big famous dramas of the time. And I was just getting anything, like anything that people said was good. I was like, I'm going to watch it. Um, and this drama, you know, I think I, I never hear it talked about anymore. My name is Kim Samsoon, but I remember when I first started watching dramas 10 years ago, it was, you know, it was already five years old by then because it came out in 2005, but it was like, I guess it had been such a big hit or such a big staple. Um, it was a really, really famous show and everyone, like everyone online is, it, you know, if, you, if you're watching K-dramas, go watch this show. I'm pretty sure like I ordered a shitty ripped version of it off eBay or some fucking ridiculous thing like that. And I watched it. And after the first episode, the subs went mental and made no sense. I'm like, no sense. But I was at this very desperate stage of my obsession where I did not have access to proper anything and I would take whatever I could get. Um, so I watched the whole fucking drama, even though I couldn't understand anything, you know, and my Korean now is terrible. I could not watch a drama without subs now, but I still would probably understand more about the language and, you know, at least the simple stuff in the language and, you know, the structure of shows and the framework and all that kind of stuff to understand what was going on more now than I could back then. And I watched it anyway and I hated it. I hated it, but I watched the whole thing. <laughs> and of course, this drama from 2005, which I will mention had 2005 high fashion in it, which is 
the worst. Like, I, I like all the dudes in it are walking around in like I don't know, like freaking massive floaty pinstripe suits and purple ties, and it's just, you know, that kind of feathery hair that all the dudes had back it was just fucking horrifying. I hated it. Um. Anyway, the main guy in it, obviously, was the actor Hyun Bin. And this was a mega hit for him. Um, obviously, you know, he's super famous. He was super famous then. It was a big, big hit. I hated the drama. I don't know what it was about. <laughs> but obviously, um, you know, it really poisoned me against him. And in hindsight, not his fault. Not Hyun Bin's fault. I'm sure the drama is a lot better than what I remember it as being. I didn't enjoy it and I hated hated the clothes, um, but <laughs> that's not really the point of it. It really put me off him. And when I think about it, I, I kind of probably avoided him after that um, in my journey through Dramaland. I obviously watched uh, Secret Garden, which he stars in with bloody hell, I've forgotten her name. Jiha what? Hajiwon, Hajiwon, um, you know, the, the body swap, which is, again, it's a big staple drama. And I did enjoy that drama a lot, but I just didn't like him because of my prior, um, experience of watching him in something that I hated as a character. I didn't like, you know, he was that kind of cold, mean character in my name is Kim San soon as well. And I just found him to be a real asshole in it. Um, and probably, you know, I couldn't get the nuances because I didn't have any subs of seeing him when he got to be a bit nice and all I saw was him yelling at her for like 16 hours of my life. <laughs> um, so basically the same thing or a similar thing, although maybe to a less poisonous extent, um, happened with the female lead, Sonia Jin. Um, again, when I first started watching dramas, a drama came out in 2010, which was a Lee Min Ho drama, uh, which was his first leading role after Boys Over Flowers, if I am remembering correctly. And obviously, you know, one of the first dramas I ever watched was the absolute hot mess of Boys Over Flowers, which is one of those insane and addictive shows that is terrible, but potentially you might love. I loved it. It's awful, but I loved it. Um, and obviously, you know, I really liked Lee Min Ho in that he's great. And I started following him around Dramaland. Um, so I obviously watched his next drama. I think it was, you know, this one, Personal Taste, which came out in 2010. Didn't love it. I didn't just didn't really get into it. Um, I'm also sure now there would be a lot of issues, like in terms of the fact that the whole plot is around him pretending to be a gay man so that he lives in a house that he really wants to live in. Like, I feel like there's a lot of baggage around that, uh, which probably isn't handled very sensitively. <laughs> anyway, um, the main lead in that, um, you know, lead actress is Sonia Jin. Um, and again, because I didn't really like the drama, I think that that carried across to me not really liking her. I don't think I really liked her character in it. Um, so yeah, that was a really long rant to tell you that that's probably the reason why I avoided crash landing on you. <laughs> um, once I started, like this is more and more lately, particularly really lately, I've started thinking about the difference between like the level of quality and production quality between older dramas and this kind of new bunch that I feel have been coming out um, that look beautiful, that are 
edited well that you know just have this whole shiny experience and aesthetically beautiful look to them and I feel like a lot of the kind of the big flagship dramas that have been coming out maybe over the last two years just have this I don't know shine to them and I think um, Crash Landing on You is one of those like this is a beautiful drama to watch it looks excellent Um, and I feel like uh, yeah you know just these really old creaky dramas I think maybe it's it's terrible because I think that um, both of these actors you know Hyun Bin and Sonia Jin, I think they're both very good. Like they are great in Crash Landing on You. And it's kind of a shame, I think, how much I got put off them before. But anyway, that's not the point. Um, so I guess that's kind of my overview of Crash Landing on You. And I'm just going to get into what it's actually about next. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Okay, so the initial setup of Crash Landing on You, we begin with Sonia Jin's character, Yoon Seri. Um, so Seri is, she's kind of an interesting character, actually, because in a lot of ways she's, you know, she's an heiress. She's very, very upper class, um, you know, lives in Seoul and owns a huge company and comes from a very, very rich family. But of course, she's a little bit different um, because basically she has disowned her family and walked away because they treat her pretty shitty. (laughs) Um, And there's a lot of kind of family baggage and hurt and vulnerability that comes with her, um, which I I really liked because there is this level, I suppose, of Seri, you know, the whole thing is she goes to North Korea and she is this very has lived this very expensive, high-flying, privileged lifestyle and has to, is forced to discover a different side of living, you know, this very slowed down kind of hokey pokey, no conveniences thing. Um, And sometimes I think that that kind of spoiled princess character can be a little bit irritating, you know, that very rich, like, oh, why is this like this? Why is there no hot water? Why is blah, blah, blah. And I feel like um, Seri kind of never still kind of got into that territory for me. Like somehow for me, I felt like she is very immediately likable, even though the show certainly does not shy away from the fact that she has lived this incredibly, you know, privileged lifestyle and she is used to things in a certain way. And when she's in Seoul in South Korea, you know, she's a pretty intense individual. She, you know, she's always talking about how she only eats three bites of food and drinks particular wines and obviously, you know, isn't particularly nice to the people around her and is quite cold and stuff like that. And, you know, they're they're not nice personality traits. And yet she's very, very likable, um, I think immediately. And I think maybe that comes down to this touch of humor in the show that really balances everything out so that you find her quite funny. And I think the show isn't afraid to make her look a bit silly um, and poke fun at her so that, you know, her being upset about not having the things she wants never comes across in a windy, 
uh, a, a whining, whingy kind of way, it, it's always just a little bit kind of making her look silly. So kind of poking fun, I think. And I think that that balance somehow is quite clever when I think about it and really works. Um, yes, she's very high maintenance and um, obviously has to adjust to all these ridiculous things, but she takes things on board and she does a really good job. But at the same time, she doesn't really lose her sense of self either that she is this, you know, this, she owns a company. She's so rich. She's, um, really expects people to do what she says and stuff like that. And I don't think she loses that side of herself, which is really evident, um, particularly when the drama switches gears about halfway through and, and gets all the main characters back over from North Korea back into South Korea. Um, I loved all that stuff, like, you know, seeing her sort of stomp around in her cool clothes and heels and flick her hair and just be like totally fucking awesome and just rule everything. So I loved those I'm really jumping around everywhere here with the plot, but <laughs> just talking about her character, like I really loved those elements of her character. I loved the balance between over the top dramatic and, you know, a little bit arrogant, a little bit um, self-important and, you know, just very naively privileged, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, balanced out with this very kind of raw, vulnerable kind of center, I suppose, of this, you know, there's this element of her that she's always this desperate child, <laughs> desperate to be loved. So there is this want in her, I think, which might maybe lend her some vulnerability, but also some warmth. And then I think because the show is so willing to poke fun at her, um, she's never unlikable. You know, even when she's being unlikable, it's just funny. It's not ever annoying. So I think it was a great balance. Um, I also think Sonia Jin looks very beautiful in this. Um, one thing I'll mention is Hyun Bin and Sonia Jin in this drama, like they're very like red and wet a lot. <laughs> I think it's because they're always crying, but like their eyes are red. They're like, mouths are very wet is very weird <laughs> I think it's because they're just covered in tears and also like it just must be fucking cold <laughs> but anyway I found that a little bit distracting I was like oh my gosh like Sonia Jin you look so beautiful but you also look very wet <laughs> but that's fine because I guess I don't have to kiss her so that's grand um but I really <laughs> I really liked her in this um I thought she looked really good too and I think I really enjoyed um kind of, you know, seeing her in Seoul, in her element at the very beginning in South Korea, like swishing her hair and her cool clothes and just being like awesome, but, you know, a bit cold to everyone and um, very dominant, you know, in all her business stuff was very cool. And then seeing this kind of transition to who she kind of changes into or not really changes into, but is able to reveal the different parts of her character when she gets to North Korea. So, because I'm jumping around like so madly, the basic plot, obviously, and I feel like, gosh, everyone must have watched this, right? I think I was the only person in the whole world who hadn't by now, you know, who watches gay dramas, obviously. Um, so Seri, I don't know, she wants to test out her bloody purple jumpsuit and make sure that it's like 
strong enough to <laughs> go paragliding in. I'm pretty sure she owns a makeup company, so I'm not really sure. Um, I guess I wasn't paying attention. Anyway, she climbs up to the top of this hill and she gets a parachute and goes flying off. And then like the maddest full on Wizard of Oz tornado turns up and carries her all the way to North Korea. Um, but obviously, Seri doesn't know this. She just gets trapped in a tree. She's hanging. She's trying to like call people on her walkie-talkie. And um, obviously, that's not working out that well because she is somewhere very different. And then um, at the end of the episode, um, Hyunbin turns up and his character is Jonghyuk. And Jonghyuk is a, I think he's a captain in the North Korean army, but he's sort of like posted on the border with his little gaggle of, you know, soldier dudes um, who are all fantastic in this drama. I have to say, like, the characters in this show are mad good. Like, I just don't understand how one show could have the huge level of side characters that this show has that you care about all of them in a very deep way. It's very, it's very clever. Um, I was really impressed. Um, so anyway, Captain, uh, Captain Rhee or Jonghyuk is, uh, you know, he saves Seri, but it's, it's all very funny. I really, really enjoyed their first meeting, you know, like she doesn't really believe she is in North Korea, obviously. And when it starts to dawn on her, she really wants to get away from Jonghyuk and he, you know, is kind of has to bring her in. So I really liked this kind of push and pull between them. And again, I loved the show's willingness to kind of poke fun at Jonghyuk's personality, I suppose. He has this thing where he, he'll he always say he's in control. He'll always say that he's fine. And usually, you know, something really terrible is happening and he's not fine. So the really wonderful example when they first meet is, of course, Jonghyuk um, stands on a landmine and he's just kind of like, no, it's fine. It's totally fine. Like, I can, I can do this. Everything's in control. It's so funny. Um, So I found their meeting, you know, it's a meet cute, but it's super charming. I think it was really well done. And I think I just really appreciated the level of humor in the interactions. Of course, you know, all this mad stuff happens and what kind of takes place is Seri obviously does not manage to get back over um, the line, the DMZ, and does not manage to get back into South Korea. And, you know, by this point, Jonghyuk and his team are going to end up in quite a bit of trouble if um, Seri is discovered because Jonghyuk didn't initially bring her in and arrest her and, you know, kind of uh, totally fucked it up, I guess, by letting her run around for a really long time and turn up in the village. And obviously, you know, she's just this beautiful young woman who clearly isn't a spy, clearly isn't trying to hurt anyone. And, you know, Jonghyuk is immediately, I think, you know, he's a good person and he's like, he doesn't know what will happen to Seri if she gets arrested. Because obviously in North Korea, if someone is over the border when they're not meant to be, there, there has to be an investigation. And a lot of officials are going to obviously immediately presume that she is there for a reason. Um, so Jonghyuk, I guess, he gets protective and he ends up sheltering her in his, you know, nice little tiny house in the middle of this insane village. Um so I've got to say, the way, you know, 
I haven't, I haven't Googled it, so I don't know, but I, I was really impressed with how they created North Korea for this show. Like it looks amazing. Um, I think the countryside and the little village, but also Pyongyang, the city, you know, there's all these sweeping shots. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know how this stuff was done. Um, probably there's a listener who'll be able to tell me who's actually done some research and Googled um, about this stuff. Um, but I'm pretty sure they filmed a lot of the North Korean stuff in Mongolia. So, I mean, I don't know about the cityscapes and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, just super cool. Gosh, I feel like this is the most incoherent review or discussion ever. I'm just like bouncing back and forth everywhere. My thoughts are really scattered on this drama. Um, I don't even know if I've mentioned it. I really, really liked it. Um, I enjoyed it so much. So obviously with the whole setup, um, it's all about Jungkook and his gaggle of soldier soldier guys um, just trying to get Seri back to South Korea um, and keep her safe in the meantime. So it was really weird for me. I felt like, you know, when I was watching the show, I kind of had this weird thing that I felt it was this really gentle, quiet kind of story because for the first half of it, so much of it really takes place in this tiny little village that Jung Kyok lives in, you know, on this kind of near the border where all the soldiers and the personnel live with their wives. Um, and there's something very contained about the story and for me kind of gentle and quiet, even though like the stakes are really, really high. Um, which I think was really interesting that I kind of got that vibe from the story when the stakes are so high. Like, I mean, if Seri gets discovered, not only is she going to be suspected of being a spy and get taken away, interrogated, tortured, who knows what, um, Jonghyuk is fucked for harboring her. And by choosing to do that, he screwed up the lives of these four young dudes. Um, well, three young dudes and also the, the character Chisu, who, you know, are his underlings, um, who are all fantastic characters who like, gosh, as a viewer, you get to know them and like them so much. Like the idea of that, them, you know, get, getting into trouble over this, like it's really horrifying. So the stakes are really, really high. Um, I guess I'll talk about those those little uh, soldier. I don't know why I keep calling them little. They're not little. They're normal sized <laughs> soldier guys. Um, but they they were so good. I liked them so much. So we sort of have um, kind of like the leader guy Chisu, who's you know <laughs> ridiculous but very stoic and kind of thinks he knows a lot more than he does and yet somehow comes across as very charming instead of annoying. Um, then there's uh, Kwang Bom, who is, you know, I think in the show he's, he's you know, he's the good looking one. Um, and then Dumok, who I thought was, I really, really loved his whole thing. Like, I mean, he's obsessed with South Korean dramas, which he watches completely illegally because you cannot do that in North Korea. And I've read some really distressingly bad shit about what happens to people if they do, which I'm not going to talk about on here because this is a nice show where we talk about positive things, but it's horrifying. Um, but I loved his whole character. Um, so every time Seri is talking about something that no one else understands because it's South Korean related, um, you know, uh, Jumok will always be 
translating it for them, I suppose. But he translates these things through the lens of Korean dramas, which of course are, you know, hyper-reality, larger than life. Um, and so usually he's kind of wrong and has really silly ideas of what South Korea is. And there's a lot of comedy to be had, I think, in in that kind of stuff. But I also think the show did a good job. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not trying to be like, oh, South Koreans are great and North Koreans are silly. Like, even though, you know, obviously in North Korea, they're less technologically advanced and they, you know, have such control on information that none of these characters know about things from South Korea or the outside world and have, you know, propaganda filled brains on this kind of stuff. Um, I also think the show kind of handled these characters with a lot of respect, even the ones that are there for, you know, comedic relief, uh, like Chisu or, you know, Jumok and Undong. Um, I think they're handled with a lot of respect and a lot of love. And I think that's maybe what I liked the most about this drama is how much care and time was taken in fleshing out the side characters and I guess just in that idea of of creating them with respect too you know like not you know yes yes it totally pokes fun at North Korea but never in never in a way that I don't know that seems not great I I don't know how to even explain what I'm trying to say but it just felt it just felt like like from maybe a human point of view, like like a nice sort of human, like look at humanity, that humans are the same no matter where we're from. Like we're going to grow up in different ways and we're going to be exposed to different things and become different people because of those things. But, you know, the core of us is all the same. And I think that that was what I really liked about how the show handled, you know, this divide between the characters from the North and the South and, Yes, it's funny, but like I think, yes, it pokes fun at all the North Korean boys for not knowing this stuff, but it totally pokes fun at Seri for, you know, being this South Korean Chebol princess as well, you know, like, so it's an equal amount and it all felt very equal, I think. Um, In saying that, you know, there is obviously the antagonist in this is like, man, I don't know, he's just some dude. I. I'm going to like admit that I didn't really care. <laughs> I didn't care about the truck stuff. I mean, I cared about Jong Hyuk's kind of search to figure out why his brother died. Um, I cared about that from Jong Hyuk's point of view. Like I cared about his emotions related around that thing. Um, and also obviously um, the North Korean agent who's like the kind of listener in guy who listened to everyone's conversations. I loved that whole storyline again, handled so well and with so much emotion and depth, but I didn't care about the trucks. I didn't care about all the military stuff. I didn't care about the annoying bad guy and all the stuff he was doing. And that's just personal. I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. But at the same time, you know, that stuff is a total necessary evil. Like you've got to have an antagonist in your show because again, you want to have the stakes. You want to have someone who is trying to sniff out Seri and destroy everything. So I totally get why he was there. I just found him the least compelling part of the show because maybe just because he's just, he was evil. Like he's just so evil. He was very evil, but he didn't have as much nuance um, as everyone else. So I never really felt 
kind of like he was a proper character for me. So I just kind of washed over him after a while, I suppose. But I think that's fine. Um, You know, I don't think the show was perfect. There was probably like a few things like that that I just didn't really care about, but it doesn't really bother me. And it's such a small part of, I think, such a moving and romantic drama um, with so many amazing side characters. Um, So the other side characters in the show are uh, Sodan, uh, who's the second female lead. So Dan is played by the actress So Jihae. So I haven't really seen So Jihae before, um, but I thought she was really good in this. I liked her a lot. Um, and then the second male lead, Sung Jong, uh, played by the actor Kim Jung Hyun. So I have seen him before. I've always felt quite ambivalent. Like I haven't really cared either way. Um, I think he was so good in this. <laughs> I liked him so much. Hated the ending. Hated it. Fucking hated it. Not into it. Felt very hollow um, at the end of the show, uh, even though, you know, technically it's happy, but like, I don't know, I just felt a bit crushed. Um, and I think I really, really liked his character and I I think he grew on me. Um, the second male lead, Sung Jung, I, it's not like I really loved him at the start, um, but I loved the secondary romance between him and Dan. Like I loved it. I loved the interactions. I loved the way he just sort of I guess they can just be so real with each other, you know, and he just completely admits who he is, which is this completely messed up con man of a dude. And she is able to sort of learn to be herself around him, which I think feels to me like the first time in Dan's entire life that she's ever been herself. So I really loved their interactions. I loved the stuff they talked about. And it was funny as well, you know, like all the drunk stuff and him being in her house and it was just charming and great. And I hated how it ended. So one thing I didn't like, oh man, I'm just all over the place in this um, discussion. I'm just presuming everyone's seen the show because otherwise this probably doesn't make any sense. Sorry guys, I'm not doing well today, but I'm trying my best. Um, But one thing I didn't love was I felt like, you know, Sung Jung is in North Korea. Um, he's a South Korean con man because he's conned a whole shit ton of money out of Seri's, you know, totally evil brother or whatever. And he's in North Korea for a completely different reason. But when he sees Seri, he's like, whoa, there's Seri who, you know, he was engaged with and has this history. And when they first kind of meet for the first few episodes, like I just didn't get the sense of any lingering feelings on his side. Like I didn't really get this anything deep there. I just kind of felt like he is a con man. He's after money and he's, of course he's interested to see her. She's South Korean and she's not meant to be there. And it's a very complicated situation. And obviously he doesn't want her to die, um, you know, when all this bad stuff starts happening. But then when he sort of gives Seri like safe harbor at his um, ridiculous mansion in the North Korean hidden isolated hills or whatever um suddenly like he seems very intense about being in love with her um which I just did not feel at all up until that point and I'd felt so much like zing I think between um Sung Jong and Sodan when they were having their chats like even when they first met like there's just so much I think chemistry going on between them that I was like I don't know it felt like a real kind of 90 degree turn or three how do you say it? I don't even know. But like, it just felt a bit jarring to me um, to feel like, oh, wait, like he he was actually in love with Seri. Um, so I was kind of like, eh, about that. And I think they should have just not bothered with, with that because it also, I felt like it just, 
it just disappeared straight away afterwards. Like he was like, seemed really intent on having her stay with him and not going back with Jung-Hok and really intent on, you know, going through with this kind of marriage so he can help her get out of the country. And before he was with her, he didn't seem like to care that much. And then after she went off with Jong-hyuk again. I felt like he didn't care that much again so and was more interested in Dan. So I just thought that was, I mean, but you know what? Like I felt like that was a kind of a weird misstep, but it is so minor. Like this is that kind of thing where a show is so good that if you want to say something negative about it, you end up saying something really stupid that doesn't really matter because there's not really much to complain about in this show. Like if I'm honest, I think, um, like realistically, if I'm honest, the only thing that I didn't love was some stuff about the ending. And that wasn't because it wasn't good. It was because it hurt my heart. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I mean, this show is so solid. And it also does that thing um, that Tale of Noctu did that I loved, which is like you set up the start of a drama in a very specific place and you really dig deep and investigate it, investigate the way it works and introduce all these different characters. And then halfway through the drama, you move the location of the show to a completely different place. And suddenly everyone is in a different location and has like a different set of rules and framework. And it's so clever to, I think, um, just give give a show like a real kick. Um, not that the show was flagging in any way. Like I loved all the North Korean stuff so much. Like I loved that setting. I thought it was so good, but at the same time, like it really adds, um, just a new kind of drive to the show to then flip everything on its head, bring all the characters or, you know, most of them um, over to or down to South Korea and get to see, you know, the kind of roles that we've really got used to seeing in the show, which is Seri being the fish out of water and everyone else, you know, in their comfortable place, doing what they do, knowing what their surroundings are, and then seeing that completely flipped on its head. And it's also really particularly fun, I think, to see Seri in this, um, I guess, position of not power, like she has power over them, but to see her in her own environment, like kicking butt, being so cool, like when she comes back, you know, not really from the dead, but like comes back, uh, like everyone else thinks she's coming back from the dead. And like, she's just walking around in these killer outfits, looking amazing and just like owning the room in like a business way. <laughs> For some reason, like it was so cool. I loved it. It was very fucking cool. Um, and you know, again, Yes, it's poking fun at all the North Korean soldiers, you know, coming down to South Korea and not understanding anything and having these very, very funny ideas of what Seoul is. Um, but again, I think it's done in a nice way. It's never nasty. And I just really, really enjoyed the whole fish out of water thing. But I always do, you know, if it's like I love stuff where someone say from the past time travels to the future and you get to see them walking around and reacting to everything. I always find that stuff quite amusing. And I think that this show did a really, really, really great job of that stuff, too. Um, I guess. Uh, I don't think there's a huge amount like I mean, I really haven't explained the plot, but Basically, the plot is just to get Sari back home. And then when she gets home, you know, Mr. Evil, evil soldier 
truck guy follows her down and tries to murder her. So Jong Hyuk has to follow and he ends up in South Korea and then all the other four soldiers follow and everything's hilarious and great. Um, and meanwhile, you know, So Dan and Sung Jong are slowly falling in love, which is fantastic. Like I shipped them so much. I liked them a lot. I thought they were a great couple. Um, and the, yeah, there's, you know, there's a bit of conglomerate evil family stuff, which I was like, eh, whatever. I'm, I cared about it because of Seri, because I liked her. I didn't really care about them. Um, but the other people I really wanted to mention as just being, uh, again, with these side characters, how did the show do so well? So, so Dan's mother, um, played by an actress called Jung Hae Jin, um, and in the show, Myung, Myungun, I think it's, yeah, Myungun freaking fantastic. I adored her. She was just one of the best mothers in a show. I feel like ever. She was so funny and like comes across as very brash and could have been, you know, evil, but isn't like, she's so great. I loved her. Um, it's also very funny because, um, you know, Myungun and Dan's family are obviously very upper class, very rich North Koreans. Like Dan has been sent overseas to Russia to study. And, um, you know, so they're, they're not like living in a little village like we see for a lot of the show. Um, you know, they're kind of high flyers in the city. And um, Myungun, so Dan's mother, you know, she just wears these, you know, things that are obviously very expensive and very fashionable. And she, she has this big hair and like everything is just so old school, like really kitschy and old fashioned and very like, like glittery and brash and very, I don't know, I'm going to say 80s, I suppose, with these big hair and this mad bold makeup. And it's so funny. I just loved it. But again, you know, even though she's so funny, slowly it peels back and you realize her heart, you realize how much she loves her daughter and their relationship was really, really good. So I adored her. Um, obviously, um, gosh, I can't find him on this list, but you know, the dude who listens into everyone's stories, um, you know, works for the government and he has such a sad backstory and he just broke my heart. Other characters I thought were great was like this little random insurance guy, life insurance seller guy in South Korea, who's just going crazy trying to prove that Seri is not dead because his life is over. He's going to lose his job. I loved him. Like he, he's just so good. Even you know, he's a barely in the show. Like he's just a little tiny flip, like practically nothing of a side character. And yet you feel like he's a real person who's fleshed out. I thought it was just done so well. And then the last one I wanted to mention was the four main ladies who live in Jonghyuk's little village in North Korea. Like, I loved it because when Seri first gets there, um, you know, she gets, it's a tiny village. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows everyone's business. So she gets outed as being there, like, immediately. And Jonghyuk has to say that she's somebody. So he says that she's his fiance and that she's like, you know, a secret agent from, you know, South Korea, which means don't ask questions. So everyone has to back off. Um, and so at first I thought, oh, these women are going to be mean. Like it's all going to be about them, like bullying her and, you know, ostracizing her. And they're going to be a problem because of all the gossip. I was like, I really thought that it was going to be about her trying to cover her tracks with them so that they didn't sniff her out and like tell on her to the government. And in the end, it was completely different to that. It was like this 
slow burn, hilarious, but very emotionally satisfying friendship that develops between these women and Seri. And then you get to see, you know, the flip side of this this friendship that the women have themselves, you know, when one of them, the kind of leader woman um, in the village, or, you know, the the wife of the richest guy in the village or the highest up um, military guy, you know, he gets arrested for whatever reason and she gets ostracized and all the women are like, we can't go near her because, you know, you, they'll get sucked into whatever she's getting, her family's getting in trouble for. But each of them, you know, secretly goes to her house and gives her stuff. And it's beautiful. Like, it's so moving. Um, I just The way these side characters are written is gold. Um, so what I'm going to do now is just before I finish up my most haphazard and ridiculous discussion on a drama ever. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I am just going to read out the notes that I wrote while I was watching this show. Cause I think I wrote down a lot of the things that I liked and that'll sort of be my, you know, the stuff that I loved section of my discussion. So this is the list that I made while I was watching. Um, I wrote the ladies in the village, obviously. Um, I just fell in love with those ladies in that village. They were so good. Um, I've also written the train ride scene. So this is the scene where um, Seri asks Jong Hyuk. So they're both on the train from the village heading towards Pyongyang to get her passport photo so that she can get out of the country. I think this is... I think it's their second attempt to get her out at this point after the, the fishing trawler attempt totally fails. So there's this scene, I think it ended up being one of, I don't know why, it really stuck out for me. I felt like it was one of my favorites in the show. For one, it looks beautiful, like the way that this show has been filmed. You know, this they keep having these really big, wide aerial shots of this train through this like huge, flat, expansive, yellow grass area so I'm presuming now after reading that synopsis that this must have been Mongolia um, where it was filmed it just looks fantastic and you know everything in the train is a little bit old-fashioned and they're sitting in this little tiny carriage across from each other on the train and Seri is sort of asking if Jonghyuk is going to get into trouble for you know he's kind of pulled some strings to get it so that she can join this what are they like a sports team or some shit I can't even remember who are going um, on a plane and going overseas so they're going to go and forge her passport so that she can go and she's like just sitting there in the train carriage like absolutely stuffing her face like it's so funny she's just like shoving eggs in her mouth and like drinking soda and like everything's insane and she's asking if he'll get into trouble at the same time and he's just like there's just something about this moment and I think the way that he looks at her and he's so the, the word that I have to use for this man is always um stoic um he just He's so internalized, which is why I think the humor is really great. He's quite funny too. <laughs> like he's always a bit ridiculous, but in this scene, you know, and he just tells her, like, he's just looking at her and he's so reserved and stoic and calm. And he's just like, no, like, you know, it's, it'll all be fine. I'm not going to get into trouble. But then immediately the drama shows us a flashback and we realize that through pulling their strings, like the government is going to realize that this person was sent overseas and didn't come back to North Korea and wasn't North Korean. And where did they come from? They're going to trace it back to him. 
So basically, to get her out of the country, he is immediately sacrificing everything in that moment. And he's still trying his best to get, you know, to make it happen. Um, I think for me, it was like this moment in the drama. I, you know, I was obviously shipping them already. Like I could tell that there was interest, but this was like, I think for me, a moment where things just went a level deeper between them in terms of the romance. And I really, really liked it. Um, I, I don't know why it really, yeah, it stuck with me. And then, you know, obviously the train sort of breaks down and everyone has to spend like 24 hours sitting in a field and it's quite romantic. And I think it's interesting because Seri is quite taken by jong Hok, I think already at this point, but you know, obviously they both know what's coming next, which is they're never going to see each other or contact each other ever again if everything goes well and she can get out of the country. So I think both of them are very careful about it, particularly jong Hok, because he is engaged, he is going to get married and he, you know, there's no point even admitting if he feels anything or not. Um, so again, another scene I really loved, and this is what I wrote in my notes. Um, so when they say goodbye before she's meant to get on the flight, um, I really liked it. He's so stoic and he won't admit that he feels anything. So I felt that there was this like really great, like romantic tension in that scene, you know, where he just refuses to admit that he likes her. Um, you know, and I think she's sort of asking him to, for a hug, you know, and he's just not, won't even give her that because, you know, what's the point of opening your heart if you know there's no future of it? Um, but there was so much tension in it. So I really liked it. Um, so I've also wrote, uh, written down that other scenes that I liked. So when she chooses to save him, um, so Seri, you know, she drives straight to the hospital after jong Hyuk gets shot. Um, and I loved like her whole quote. She's like, my favorite movie is Mad Max Fury Road. I just like, when I was watching that, I was like, oh, she's so cool. <laughs> Um, and then the next thing I loved is when Jong Hyuk, obviously he's been shot and Seri, um, you know, she sacrifices her opportunity to get out of the country, to bring him to a hospital so that he doesn't fucking die. So I wrote at hospital, she finds her picture in his bloody uniform. Like it's so such a moment, you know, because he's been so adamant that he's not into her, like he's not giving her an inch. And it's this proof, this moment of proof where she realizes that he, he's kept something of her. He likes her enough to keep her photograph. It's so moving. Um, and then I also wrote in my notes, surgery in North Korea, yuck, <laughs> which I feel is quite accurate. Um, and so I also wrote down what Seri says. So jong Hyuk is unconscious in bed and she's sitting um, beside him. And so she says this, I'm not used to things like this. I've been only loving myself and hating myself. And I've been only protecting myself and abandoning myself. All I had was myself. I had nobody else. So this is awkward for me. Having someone else that is not myself you looked at me, listened to me, smiled at me, ate with me. I really liked her whole monologue. Like the monologue goes on, that's all I wrote out. But I just thought it was really beautiful. And I really liked this. I don't know, just like her peeling back those layers on her vulnerabilities when, you know, she's so over the top and funny and that kind of stuff normally. And it was just such a, a really nice vulnerable moment for the character, I thought. And then, um, you know, their first proper kiss scene, I thought was so romantic. It was so well done. Um, you know, he, 
is a real dick to her when he wakes up because he's so horrified she's still there. You know, he's really gone all out to get her out of the country. Like he's been shot and she's still there. Um, So he is really angry because he's really worried about her and he's worried about the future. So he just completely like says some really nasty things. Um, But I always think that anger is such a great emotion in romantic stories to push forward or like to really push things in in a way where people have to face what they're feeling. Um, I think, yeah, it's just, I think it was really cleverly done. And I love it. You know, she goes out and she's crying and she's outside and he follows her out and he's like, you know, bloody pajamas, even though it's freezing cold. And he apologizes and he's just staring at her and she's like, stop looking at me like that. And he just shakes his head. He's like, don't misunderstand me. Like, I'm just looking. And she know- like, she just knows it. And she's like, no, you're not. Um, and then, you know, obviously he kisses her. It's super romantic. I loved it. I, I just thought the lead up to that kiss was just filled with so much tension that it was so satisfying then and it's just such a good example of the slow burn when it comes to romance in k-dramas where they really take the time to very carefully layer the tension and build up that you know that slow burn so that by the time you get your couple admitting that they like each other I mean I don't know how many episodes this is in but it's like it's you know, quite a few hours in and he's only just admitting to her that he feels something like it's so satisfying. And of course, when you have, you know, emotions so carefully built and tension so carefully built, you know, a kiss scene is going to work so much better. So yeah, I loved it. It was really great. Um, the other thing I wrote down was, um, I really loved, so when he saves her life, so Jonghyuk saves Sari's life in Switzerland in the past and, I've written down, I love the idea that unknowingly you can impact someone else in a very heavy way. Um, I think that's so interesting and I think it's so true to life. Like you go through on your own pathway, but you never truly know how what you do ripples outwards and impacts other people. And I think that's why it's so important to act positively um, as much as possible because you just never know when something you say or do is going to really make a difference in someone else's life. And I I felt like I just loved that whole kind of connection between them. And it really made me think about those kind of things. Um, And then I also, my very last note was, so there's a scene um, where I finally realized that the second male lead was really great. (laughs) But also he was wearing a bright orange turtleneck and I put in brackets. I hate turtlenecks, which I do. I think they're rubbish. And also I couldn't believe that there was like this big, you know, really intense romantic scene with the second male lead and Sari where he's like towering over her and he's kind of like expressing how much he likes her and being really intense. And also he's wearing the most insane bright orange turtleneck I have ever seen. I'm pretty sure it also wears like this mad pink cardigan at one point. I just thought it was really interesting. And I think it's really interesting. Like, um, I guess, you know, when I think about culture and I think about the culture of my own country and like what people think is masculine, you know, um, especially when it comes to clothes, like, oh man, there's such a kind of shitty macho kind of culture where I'm from that I'm not a big fan of. And I just love the idea that a drama like this can put the second male lead in these, you know, like a freaking pink cardigan thing 
but still have him sort of be so masculine in that scene. Like him wearing a pink cardigan has nothing to do with whether he's manly or not, you know? And I think that that's just, you know, I guess looking, I just think it's really interesting. And I also think it's really cool um, compared to, I think, the way my own culture kind of approaches things like masculinity, which is blurg, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> All right, so that was the end of my notes. Um, I, th I mean, I've just waffled on for ages, but also in such an incoherent way that probably made no sense to listeners, just like jumping from the end to the start, to the end to the start. Um, so I'm sorry about that. I should probably write down more notes in the future. <laughs> I think that was the problem. I really tried to wing it. I didn't really write anything down this time. Um, anyway, I think that's everything that I've got to say on the I guess I'll say 2020 K-drama crash landing on you. Thank you for listening to my mad waffle. <laughs> Okay, so now it is time for my random thing of the week, and it's a little bit history related. <laughs> um, I'm going to also be talking about it in my something I'm loving because it's what I've been loving this week. Uh, but I've been just reading the most incredible book. Like, it's just fucking amazing. Um, it is, I don't want to say memoir, but it's like a first person account, like an account written by um, a minister who was serving kind of like, I guess, the prime minister kind of 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 Joseon during the 1500s, during the Imjin War. Um, so the whole book is written like from his point of view, discussing how this seven year war played out. Um, so I think I've talked about this on the podcast, but it's a particular time during Joseon history that I'm very, very interested in researching and learning about further. Um, but what I'm going to do before I kind of talk about the book and maybe a bit more about the engine war, but for my random section this week, I just wanted to read this poll, um, which appears in this book. Um, but to give you guys a little bit of context. So this book was written 500 years ago. <laughs> Um, during Joseon times, it this part like that I'm going to read now, this poem was written in probably like early 1593. Um, and basically the Japanese invade Korea with kind of a mind, I think, to take over China or take on China, which was Ming at that point. Um, and Korea, you know, the armies and the government, they are just not prepared for this level of invasion by any means. Um, they don't really at this point have a very strong military. Like they're very under-equipped, under-trained. Um, I would imagine not even that many people compared like in the military. And basically the Japanese uh, army, so this is trained like seasoned samurai fighters, warriors um, are able to just sweep up the entire peninsula. They arrive in Busan and sweep all the way up to Seoul and then further taking over the whole country pretty much except for certain pockets and they end up in Pyongyang. So obviously, you know, before North and South existed long, long before that. Um, and so after, you know, another bloody battle, um, the Japanese occupy Pyongyang and they stay in the fortress there and the Korean king and his sort of, um, peeps, I suppose, <laughs> are sort of forced northwards and eventually, you know, an, an army 
turns up from Ming, China, to help Korea try and take over the country again. Because obviously um, Ming has a very vested interest in Korea remaining as a vassal state and not under Japanese control. Um, but anyway, that was a very long-winded sort of context for this poll, which is the Ming, like one of the Ming generals that turns up in Joseon to aid the king and aid, you know, in the war effort. Um, so he meets with the man who wrote this book that I have, whose name was Yu Song Yong. So Su Yu Song Yong, um, I'm pronouncing that terribly, sorry, was the guy who was basically the official most in charge, like kind of on and off because he kept getting fired and then reinstated <laughs> um, of the war effort. Like he was kind of like, I've, I've seen in other books um, him being described as the prime minister at the time. So I think that that kind of uh, explains it. And so he has a meeting with this um, Ming military commander to discuss military matters. And basically they're, they're having a discussion that's written out in the book about how to retake you know, the city or the fortress of Pyongyang from the Japanese samurai. And then um, the, the guy who's written the book writes, after I took leave of him, so he's talking about the Ming general, the Ming general sent me a fan inscribed with a poem that he personally wrote. His poem reads as follows. So this is the poem that the Ming general wrote to kind of give assurance to the Joseon government that Ming was going to solve the situation and get rid of the Japanese from Pyongyang. Upon hearing that our neighbor was in trouble, I crossed the river, leading my army under starlight. Our sage emperor is anxious for the news every day, and his humble servant would not enjoy wine even at night. The spring and the great bear make me lion-hearted. The bones of the tricky Japanese will ache with fear. Let me speak of nothing but victory, even in jokes. I am always on a horse, even in my dreams. I just think it's such, like, it's so crazy to think, you know, that this Ming general inscribed that poem on a, on a fan and gave it to the prime minister of Joseon, 500 years ago it's just so mad it's such an interesting book you know it's the language is so accessible and it's it's so easy to read and it's crazy to think you're reading the words that someone wrote down about you know something that can feel so far off in history and yet I think through reading this book made me feel like it was really close um so basically what happens after that is that Ming does attack Pyongyang and it doesn't go that well, <laughs> um, but it's a, you know, it's a seven year war. So it's, it's, it's pretty complicated. So that's my random thing of the week. So now it's time for my something I'm loving section, which is basically just a continuation of the random thing. So obviously the book is what I've been loving. It's so good. Oh my gosh. So it is called The Book of Corrections. And I think in Korean or in like Romanized Korean, I don't have it written in Hangul, but it's like um, Jingbrok, uh, Jingbirok, I think. Um, but basically the subtitle is Reflections on the National Crisis During the Japanese Invasion of Korea, 1592 to 1598. Uh, written by Yu Song Nyong, who was the prime minister at the time, or you know, prime minister kind of equivalent. Um, so 
This prime minister wrote the book of corrections after the war. So after he retired, he went back to his hometown, which amazingly, very interestingly to me, turned out to be a place in Korea near, near Andong called Hahe Village, which was actually one of the places that I did visit when I went traveling there. So, um, and unfortunately I hadn't read this book at that time. Otherwise that would have been very thrilling to know. Um, but he, this prime minister, after, you know, he retires, he goes back to his hometown and he writes this book and he does it because he believes that things went very, 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 very badly during the war. Um, not because he believes that they did, they went terribly. Um, the war effort was managed terribly. Um, I think that the government and military, particularly infrastructure in Joseon at that time was just so poor that they were completely unable to protect themselves from foreign invasion. And this is something that I think the prime minister really wants to write down an account of all the bad things, like the bad management things that happen so that there is an account so people can learn from it and do better in the future. And I think that that is pretty admirable when you think about it, um, particularly when you read the book. You know, so many of the problems, I think, is there's so much political infighting that you were getting these you know, ministers who get put up in, you know, different positions to, you know, for the war effort or in charge of different areas. And they're more interested in kind of gaining more power politically and getting rid of their, you know, political rivals than actually saving the country sometimes. And it it's, you know, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's not great. Um, but I think that's what makes, I think, the effort of writing this book so incredible because this particular prime minister, you know, he... He makes mistakes as well. Um, I think, you know, he's probably paints himself in an all right light. Um, but at the same time, I think so often, you know, maybe my experience with politicians isn't so great. It's more about like kind of like covering yourself, not wanting history to remember that something so terrible happened in terms of management of, you know, a war effort. Um, and I think it's admirable that he's like, no, let's like peel back these layers and strip this bear and hopefully it will help the country in the future. Like this is the right thing to do. Um, I have to say like the book is just, it's so interesting. Like I think, you know, it, it, it's not too dry. Like I didn't, I didn't find it very dry at all, which I think is particularly incredible because it was written so long ago. Um, but anyway, I don't know if it would be for everyone. There's a lot of information in there. Um, it's very dense. Uh, the, the, the actual book isn't dense, but because obviously, um, the guy who's written it is talking about, you know, all these different generals and these people are getting promoted and demoted and there's so many names. And then every time a new name is introduced as a footnote, so you can find out who this person was and what happened to them. Um, so it is dense in that kind of a respect of just a lot of information coming at you, but it is very easy to digest and a lot more accessible than I ever expected. Um, you know, this kind of, uh, memoirish type thing to be. Um, but I would definitely like, if you are interested at all in Joseon history, like what a book. So the book of corrections, it's definitely worth a read if you like history. Also the Imjin war is, you know, particularly famous because if you go to Seoul, there are basically, um, you know, in the main square in front of Gyeongbokgung, um, which is the main palace, there are two particular statues that I think every tourist will see um, that are of very, very important historical figures. 
One is King Sejong, who is the man who created Hangul, which is an extraordinary feat because what he did was bring written language to the common people. And everyone knows that the ability to write, you know, and education is how you break down class structures. You know, that's how you close a gap between upper class and poverty you know education is a way to do that and a king decided that his people should have the means to write is and read is incredible um so he you know was obviously an incredible figure and then the other big statue you will see was the biggest probably the biggest hero um in korean history i mean yes i think he is (laughs) and he you know played a major part in the imjin war which is what you know, my book that I'm reading is about. Um, and that is, of course, Admiral Yi. Um, so Admiral Yi was, um, he was a Navy kind of admiral and, and he just like, his story is bonkers incredible. It's so interesting. Um, I wouldn't do it justice if I explained it all here, but you should definitely look it up, um, if you can. And, um, there's an amazing podcast about it, which I'll might mention next week or something if I remember, because I can't remember what it was right now. <laughs> um, but Admiral Yi is incredible. He is, of course, um, I don't know in the book I'm reading that, you know, they're talking about he didn't necessarily create the turtle ships. They were probably a concept that already existed, but he did develop them further and put them into use. Um, and obviously, you know, he had an incredible strategic mind and, you know, played a huge part in, in, eventually expelling the Japanese from Joseon at the time and, you know, died a hero for his efforts. Um, So a very incredible person um, and very interesting to read about him from the firsthand kind of point of view of the prime minister at the time who, you know, really advocated for Admiral Yi when Admiral Yi was getting, you know, arrested by political rivals and tortured in jail and all sorts of ridiculous shit. Um, Incredible story. Really, really interesting. I think I've waffled on about history enough. Um 